Welcome to Voices of the Wild Earth. I'm Jane Fritz. This redux of Asking the Stones to Speak, produced for the Idaho Mythweaver, originally aired in 2005. It features the creation myth of the Tunaha, or Kootenai people, as told by the late Basil White. But first, let's hear from Dr. Rodney Fry, Professor Emeritus at the University of Idaho, to help us put this origin story into context. Often the word myth is used in conjunction with these stories. If we interpret stories, not literally, but metaphorically, if we look at their symbolism, we can see that they point to all sorts of literary as well as spiritual truths that are shared by all of humanity. The story I'm about to tell, it was told by my grandma and I. I had it in mind all this time. Basil White was a Kootenai elder and a very traditional storyteller, as you'll hear in his unique way of relaying his cultural heritage. Native American storytelling is an interactive listening experience. When we read about something or experience it through the eye of a camera, a television, a photograph, there's a sense of distance, of estrangement, that in the storytelling cannot occur. As the story unfolds, the listeners are within the story in the same way they're within that landscape or interacting with that animal. There really is, through the imagination, little distinction. When you tell the story, you are in the creation time. It happened long, long ago. There was no humans. There was just nothing but animals in this world. This is the time of the animal people, the first peoples. Their very special human-like qualities, adventures, and endeavors prepared the world for us. Stories aren't simply fantasies of a, a long-lost age and a remembrance of that time and a return to somehow. But stories are as alive and meaningful today as they ever were because they give people a sense of who they are. They give people a sense and can build a sense of self-identity, of self-worth, of purpose and meaning. And as a result, it seems to me, in, in my experiences with, with Indian peoples or peoples anywhere, in any situation, when people have a strong sense of their own story, when they can tell the story of who they are, how they got to this particular place, and where they're going, that that is the greatest shield against all the adversities that face us as individuals in our own lifetime. One more thing before we hear Basil's story. The Indians' interconnectedness with nature may seem like a geography lesson for us. Dr. Fry. When I was with Indian families, we'd be visiting, we'd be traveling down the highway, we'd be at someone's uh, feast, and something in the landscape would spark the story in the teller, that they would tell the story that simply oozed out of the landscape. To see the landscape from an Indian point of view is to see the story. You don't just see hills and trees and coolies, and maybe a coyote jump out of that coolie as it runs across the field. But what you see are the stories. The landscape is inundated, every bit of it, with an oral literature, with a story. It's alive with stories. Stories are everywhere. Okay, enough mental preparation. 
Now, let's just imagine ourselves sitting around a campfire as the words of the Kootenai language flow like water over the Kootenai River Falls and draw us in. Somewhere along the Kootenai area, somewhere, a woman was killed. They seen an arrow sticking through her back. So they want to find out where the who the killer was. So they, all the animals were going around trying to find out where the arrow come from, who the arrow belonged to. The animals talk to among each other, and then they fin- finally said to each other that, uh, well, there's only one wise guy, wise man here, that's a muskrat. We might as well go over and find out where this arrow come from. He'll, he'll tell us where this arrow come from. So they all went over to muskrat's hut, and his grandma come out, his grandma was frog at that time. So the his grandma says, "You cannot, uh, you cannot see my grandson. He is very sick." She says, "Well, maybe you can go in and talk to him, but he won't be able to say a word." So the uh, all the animals went in and looked at him, and his face was all beaten up. He knows what he done, so he went back and beat beat his face his own face up. So they asked him. He says, "Well, where does this arrow come from?" And he could just barely see out of his eyes. I guess you all see muskrats. You know they got hairs all over there. You can barely see their eyes. So they figured that it was when they beat up his face, and. They ask him, he says, do you know where this arrow come from? So he puts it right near his eye and looked. Then he starts sniffing it. And his eyebrows went up, upward. So all the animals says, well, like, is the arrow come from up above? Somebody from up above come down and kill this woman. So he says, well, we'll have to get up there and find out. So there's a bird that says, well, since I live up in the sky, up in the air, I'll tell you how long it'll take for you to shoot an arrow to hit heaven. I'll tell you how long it'll take. It'll take two days. You'll hear a thug. That means you hit it. So a person, one person just shoot up his arrow and they waited. Two days come by and finally they heard it. They heard the thug. So he says, go ahead and start shooting your arrows up. So everybody starts shooting their arrows up. They connect and, and it come all the way down to the ground. One of the animals nose was put underneath just to make it uh, make the arrow stand 
one animal was going around and he says, well, I said, everybody's ready but him. He says, well, I've got to go home and put my stuff away. It'll take me two days before I can get back. So when he left, he, one, one person says, well, it's a little too long. We might as well go ahead. So everybody left. He climbed up. So they got up there, and sure enough, there was a place there. And it was a big lake. So this person come by, and sure enough, there was people in there. Everybody was shooting back. Every time, every time they see somebody come out through the hut and they shooting arrows. And finally, one wise animal, I think it was grizzly at that time. But just to come to think of it, I think it was a grizzly bear that turned around and says, Listen, Chief, you see that person that comes out and he's shooting at us. And you know he's a left-handed, and how come every person in that village is a left-handed person? So they went over, and sure enough, this guy comes out, and he was a left-handed. And he says, oh, that's muskrat. So they come to find out it was a muskrat that killed that woman. So they says, well, well, never mind. Just forget about him. You got people that can go back now. So everybody start going back. And in the meantime, this guy that went went back home to put his stuff away for two days, when he got back, everybody was gone. So the woman folks told him, well, they already left. So he got mad and he kicked the arrow and the arrows come tumbling down. And when... Uh, Warriors got back to where the air was, ladder, they called it a ladder, it was gone. So they didn't know how to come back down, and he says, well, the only way you have to go back down is jump. So everybody started jumping back down. So a lot of them got busted up, and the women folks down below just start nursing them, putting them back together. And then they come back to life. But the woodpecker uh, family, brothers and sisters, they, they figured, well, we might as well just go down to the end of this heaven and then we'll go back down. Or wherever we can easily reach back down. So they agreed and then they all left. They went searching for an easy place to come back down. He went and went went, and then he come to this place. It's about 15 miles out of uh, Lippe, Montana, where they found a place where they could come back down. So they all started back down they at the top of the mountain, and they start marching. And the Kootenai River was there, and at that time there was a giant going through, crawling in a river which is called the Kootenai River. Well, the, these two, these brothers uh, told each other, geez, that guy's not, he can't move until there's something big that's going to go on. That's the only time you see him go around. So he stopped the giant and asked him, what are you doing? And he turns around and says, well, 
since we heard that there was going to be humans put on this earth, so I'm going around naming all these places. This uh, Woodpecker family, they were, they were kind of jealous of him. So they told him, open your mouth, we're going to feed you. So in the meantime, they got out a heart of a elk. They opened it and then they put in a red hot rock inside the heart. They were going to kill this giant. Okay, open your mouth. Close your eyes and open your mouth. We'll drop you something to eat. So he, he does. He, op- he closes his eyes and opens his mouth. And he knows right away that there was something inside the heart. So he gave a nod. He nodded his head for the meat that's coming down to go sideways. So this meat went sideways and landed on the ground. So he just turns around and laughs and says, well, this, this place will be called Little Heart. So he named the place. So the Woodpecker family told him, he says, okay, you go ahead, but do not camp wherever there's a creek coming from the side of the river here. If there's a creek coming down, do not camp there. So he knew right away again that they were angry at him. So he turns around and tells the Woodpecker family, he says, you guys come back down, you go along the river, go in the river, and wherever you see, there'll be a fish struggling. Do not touch it. So there it goes. They both put a curse on each other. So then uh, the, he went along, this giant went along, naming these places, and he, this Woodpecker family come down into this Kutten River, and they were going along, and all of a sudden he seen this fish struggling, coming up, go back down, come back up again. He realized this fish was really struggling around. The red-headed woodpecker was a big chief then, so he was getting ready to get after it, and his brother, little brother, he says, oh, it's been a long time since you're a chief, and I'm not going to obey your order no more. So he jumps in, grab, try to grab the fish, and there he went. It was that sea monster that got him. It was that sea monster. It was the sea monster's tongue. It wasn't a fish. So it swallowed him. So a woodpecker really got angry then. He wants to get the monster because before... His brother got got swallowed up, and some other animals got swallowed up by this monster. monster. So they wanted to get this monster. And when the woodpecker uh, was getting at him, right along he was just going all over the all over the area, and he was just naming the places. And he got back, and he was coming up from, I guess he went all the way around, and he was coming back up from from the Kootenai Lake and naming them places. Uh, right where we are, right at the Bonus Ferry Kootenai Mission, the 
place is called Alon Arm. That was him. He named himself on that. When he was coming along through that river, well, what he was doing, he was crawling along the river. That's all he was doing because he was so big, he couldn't stand up, so he had to crawl along through the river. And then when he got down there about a mile out and he put out his arm and his arm was so long, he'd come to find out that he had a long arm. So he named that place Long Arm. And then when he stood up, he was so big and his ears touched heaven and piece of it come off and it's, and it's right below the mission there, right there at the mission where he, his ear, he knocked his ear off, and then he called that place, this place will be called Little Ears. So he went, so he goes alone, and he stops at the Kootenai Lake down in Canada, near Nelson, B.C. He stops there, and he, he tells his... Uh, you killed her. He says, now, you go along. You go all the way around this lake and tell every kind of fish that there's going to be a big powwow get together. So tell every one of them to come because if they don't, I am going to dry this lake up and they're going to be all dried up. So... Kildare went all the way around that lake, and it's a great big lake. I don't know how he done it, but he went around that lake in one day. And that evening, all the fishes were there, every kind of fish, salmon, different kind of fishes, whitefish, linfish, every kind of fish was there. So Woodpecker stood up and Ask is there's one question I'm going to ask you. Where is the sea monster hiding? And everybody just kept quiet. And finally, when one fish got up and he says, "We cannot say nothing. There's one person that's coming that'll tell you where where this uh, sea monster is hiding." So they all waited, and all of a sudden there's a fish sucker come in. He says, well, what's your pleasure? What are you going to eat? He says, I don't eat. All I want is a smoke. So they give him a smoke, and then he says, well, where is the sea monster hidden? Where is he hiding? So he says, I'm not going to say it. You just watch me. So he takes a puff off this tobacco peace pipe and he goes around one side of the lake. He just looked around this one side of the lake and he come back, took another puff of the smoke and he went around the other side of the lake. His eye went along the side of the other lake and then he come back and then all of a sudden he took another puff and he just went straight ahead and he started nodding right in the middle of the lake. That's where the monster is. So, okay, thank you. And that's how come 
you see these fishes again. They were all fed. Everybody, all the fishes were fed. And that's how come again you see a piece of meat on a fish. Every time you catch a fish, if you open it, you'll see a little piece of meat in it. That's their present from, from the woodpeckers. So everybody went out in the lake, start searching for the monster. Everybody was waiting in the lake, going around, going around, and finally the heron got long legs. He's the one that missed it. He stepped on it, and it missed. he missed it, and he says, there he goes. So he called, he says, there he goes. So everybody started following that monster, and... You could see when you come down to uh, Nelson, B.C., and on one side there's nothing but rock, and up high there's a great big uh, hole in the, in the rock. That's where his uh, head out was. So he went back in there, head, and the woodpeckers went up and start drilling holes. If it was now, they'd use them jackhammers and stuff. <laughs> but they start using their beaks, start pounding, pounding, pounding. Finally, it got out again. The sea monster got out in the lake again, and it took off. And it started to go up. And it's going up along through Columbia Lake. That's way, way up there, around Windermere, B.C., he was coming along through there, and they know good and well if he ever gets through, it'll be coming right back around Libya, Montana, Troy, Montana, Bonners Ferry, and he'd go back to the same lake again, back to the Kootenai Lake. And there's another person, another big person that was up ahead. He sent a word ahead to him. He says, see what you can do about this, this sea monster. He's going to try and go through your your way, see if you can stop him. He says, oh, there's no problem here. I can do it. His name was Kukusuk. So that, that means one-legged person. And he's a powerful man at that time. So he, he is the one that knocked that mountain from one side and from the other side. So he danced across, and then he waited, and the monster got there, and it almost made it through. It's just only a little place that hold, but it stopped that monster then. So he sent a word back that he stopped the monster. And at that time, Everybody was going along. So a woodpecker got a little tired, and he told a coyote and his friend, Wolf, to go ahead and see what they can do about the monster. And they were going along, and Wolf just turned around and told Coyote, you go ahead, I'll give you my outfit. I'll give you my war bonnet and my hatchet. You go ahead and when you get there, you kill him. All right. So Coyote, well, he's 
always a nuisance anyway. He got there all right, and the sea monster just looked at him, and the sea monster thought, well, uh, there comes a there comes a wolf. I'm a dead, dead, dead monster now, since since the wolf is here, because wolf's got nothing to fear. He'll just come at me. But I'll just say this for just for the heck of it. Else he just turned his head and looked at the person that was coming, and he just says, "Well, I'm going to swallow you up." And old Coyote just let out a yip and stepped back. He was afraid of the monster, because it would swallow him too. So he, so he waits until the wolf got there. And the wolf just took his outfit back, his war bonnet and his hatchet, and went right straight ahead. And the sea monster turned around and said the same thing. He says, well, I'm going to swallow you up. So the wolf just turned around and told him, he says, well, I'm not going to fall for that one this time. And he hit him twice, and that was it. He killed a monster. So that's when he fell down. That's how come you see the valley right from Bonner's Ferry and into Sand Point and then all the way. And then I guess it come right through here in Spokane somewhere. There's a valley, and it hits right, right near Seattle. That's how big he is. So his head plunged in, in the ocean and right near Seattle. So he's stretched out through there. Then they waited for the chief to get there because the chief was a woodpecker. And they waited for him, and he got there. So he says, well, what we're going to do is, the first thing we're going to do is cut him open and let the people back out, let the other animals back out. So they did. They cut them open. And all the other animals that were swallowed by the monster come back out. And you can see one of these uh, birds, you know, that flies around. They're kind of red on both sides. That's that's from the being in the stomach of the sea monster. They're not raw, but it's just their feathers that's red. So all the uh, animals come back out, and then says, "Well, what are we going to do about about uh, this monster now?" So woodpecker says, "Well, since they say they're going to have humans come this on this earth now, so we might as well do something about it." So he cuts a piece of the meat off which is yellow, this will be the oriental people. So he throws it. And then he turns around, cuts a piece of uh, meat that's black. He says, this is for the black people. So he just kept on doing that, naming all these pieces of meat that he cut off, and he come to this white, white part, cuts it off, and says, well, this is for the white people that's coming on this earth. So he throws it, and that's for the white people. And they run out of everything. 
And finally, one of the animals turned around and says, well, you people, you animals are talking about Indians. What, what become of the Indians? So all they had was just dried blood and grass. So they just put it together, threw it on the ground. He says, that's the Indians. So that's ends the story. Voices of the Wild Earth podcast are produced by me, Jane Fritz, and associate producer Justin Landtrip for the Idaho Myth Weaver. This program is supported in part by a grant from the Idaho Humanities Council, a state-based program of the National Endowment for the Humanities. Additional funding is from the Bonner County Endowment Fund for Human Rights in the Idaho Community Foundation. We are especially grateful to the Idaho tribes for allowing us to share these original radio stories again as podcasts on mythweaver.org and Spotify and Apple Podcasts under Voices of the Wild Earth. Thank you for listening.